Hi there, this is Austin Hetzler, the pastor of Christ the Rock Church of Elyria, Ohio. We at Christ the Rock are humbled and grateful to be a part of your sanctification today as you listen to this sermon. But at the same time, we want to encourage you to be a member of a good local church and not to allow online sermons to replace the local church and to benefit from the life of that church and to give your spiritual gifts back to that church. Having said that, our website is www.christrockchurch.com. If you go there, you can find sermons, blogs, and other resources as well as our location and service times. You can also listen to the sermons on Bible Thumping Wingnut, Podbean, iTunes, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Stitcher. I, along with the membership of Christ the Rock Church, pray that this sermon will be a blessing to you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you give us grace in this time. Lord, um, we know that when the Apostle Paul spoke about us not grieving your spirit, that was in the context of speech. So we understand that the way that we speak together is critically, to each other rather, is critically important. And I pray that you give us grace in this time as we seek to understand these things better this week and at least next week. Lord, this is something that is central to our lives and the interaction between us and also the way that we know you, which is by the written word and through the spoken word coming from institutional discipleship, which is happening right now, and also personal discipleship. So we pray for a special measure of grace here as brothers and sisters in Christ who seek to honor you with the way that we use our mouths. And we praise you and we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This week on the heels of Christmas, we resume our series through the book of Proverbs. We are, of course, affirming as we go the two God-created sex roles. And we are expounding, per Solomon's wisdom, how these roles are to operate in the various different social spheres in God's creation. If you recall, we likened these to theaters. God has created marriage, for example, as a theater for his image bearers to play out that image in creation to his glory. Well, thus far, by way of reminder, we moved from foundational elements through the proverbial man to proverbial money, the issue of gluttony, and now we move into proverbial speech. Now, there are many issues that tie into Christian communication, And these many issues intersect into a complex matrix. And all of these issues and the way that they relate affect our lives greatly. And our capacity to love and encourage one another within the family unit, within the body of Christ as well. And so we will be spending multiple weeks addressing this in reflection of the challenges inherent to this study, as well as the importance of getting this issue right. But to start here, I do think that we need to spend some time understanding where we are at with this as Christians and family members and church members and members of this American society in the year of our Lord 2023, irrespective of what your bulletin may say. And in addition, I think we also need to understand why good godly communication matters so much according to God. Now, the fact that good communication matters generally is an easy sell. But perhaps many have not thought deeply enough about this, and so I hope to be able to help you understand these things better from God's Word, of course. 
And the issues here are manifold, so this is going to take the entirety of our time this afternoon. What I have for you really was too long for an introduction into another sermon, perhaps a little shorter than you're used to. Nevertheless, these things need to be said, so we will say them in this time. So where are we at with this issue of communication? What is the current state of affairs when it comes to this? Well, in short, it is worse than it has ever been. Communication between fallen people has never been easy, but in an Internet age, it has also never been harder. And as we start to consider the nature of the challenges before us, I'd like to do this in two categories. And the first is those communication struggles that have been true always and are still true now, those that transcend different cultures, different societies. And the second category that I would like to consider are those challenges which are unique in kind or at least in degree to us in modernity. So to the first category, communication is hard for fallen people in every age because, and these are in no particular order, people first and foremost are selfish. Communication requires empathy. It requires a genuine desire to put another's needs before your own, to know them, to use language to know them, and to use language as a means of giving something of yourself to them as well. That is selfless. We are, by nature, selfish. And so in every age, this has been a difficulty for us since we fell in our father Adam. Also, this is more of a natural kind, there are language barriers. Uh, we're, we're in a, a, a multilingual household. Um, I know we're not the only one in this church who's in that situation. And so that creates a very real, significant barrier, even when both parties speak the same language. If one party uh, had a first language that was different, it affects the way that they think always. They think in that original language very often for the rest of their lives. There are also cultural barriers, which are very real. So you can have people speak the same language But if they come from different cultures, different words and concepts mean different things, and that makes communication difficult. Another great difficulty, and one of the biggest, is the differences in our family backgrounds. So one of the things that uh, produces adults who struggle to communicate is a situation where there was constant screaming in their household growing up. They don't know how to communicate They don't know how to express themselves because they were shut down every time uh, that they would have wanted to or started to try to. Conversely, on the other hand, and this is a trap that a lot of Christian parents fall into, there may be no manifest conflict between father and mother. Christian parents don't want to scream. They don't want to yell in front of their children. And so very often they'll just have no debate or discussion or argumentation in front of them at all, which produces children who do not know how to use language to resolve conflicts because they never see conflict resolution. And in fact, well beyond those examples, our parents have more to do with how we communicate than does any other factor. Good or bad, the nuclear family provides us with our filters, how we think and how we speak. We also struggle in communication in every age because of what's called the noetic effects of sin, the effect that sin has had upon our minds. We don't comprehend as we should. And we don't express as clearly as we ought because our minds indeed have been touched. And finally, though I'm sure I could give you more, 
reasons. We struggled because of the God-created differences in communication between the styles of the sexes or that are fundamental to the sexes as they are practiced by fallen people. And that was worded specifically for a reason. God created differences in communication styles between the sexes. Men and women in a fallen world tend to treat the distinctions between them that are created by God as bugs and not features. And we have a difficult time appreciating these things. Men, in in terms of communication specifically, are much more utilitarian. Not exclusively, but we like to get to the point. We have a task and we need to accomplish that task. Women will speak around the issues. Why? Because God created them to be more relational than us. They are what we are not, but what we need, in that they are helpmates. It was Adam who was given the task in the garden, if you recall, of naming the animals, right? And Eve filled that relationship that she had with him with beauty, and the way that she spoke is one of the ways in which that was accomplished. Again, these are features. They are not bugs, but in fallen creatures, they are treated as uh, hindrances. And so that then sums up the major challenges in the arena of communication that have been experienced amongst all people since we fell in Adam. But what are the challenges that are unique to our time? Well, I I realize that I'm saying what I'm about to say pretty much every sermon here, so hopefully it doesn't just turn into white noise. But really, there is an unprecedented attack from Satan on this area as well. And this is largely on account of technology. So to start, social media has and is having a ruinous effect on people's social capacity. Real relationships, as you know, are hard. Real communication is difficult. Social media, on the other hand, is easy. And it is easy, first off, because real people cannot be turned on and off at will, whereas friends on social media can. Friends in air quotes. If you're upset with somebody because of something that they said. If you grow weary of them, you can unfriend them or you can simply ignore them. Real relationships require explanation and reconciliation. Social media relationships do not. Real relationships promote a healthy exchange of ideas leading to change perspectives, whereas social media sites algorithmically curate ideas and people into specific groups that merely affirm all of our priors. Additionally, social media is designed to foster pride. If the devil had designed a, a medium of communication, it, it would not be better at fostering pride than these are. Okay? If you say some zinger to your spouse in your living room, you have to clean up the mess that you made, right? You have to deal with the consequences of that. But if you do that online, as people do constantly, then the only consequence that most of us are going to pay any attention to is the affirmation of others liking our denunciation of somebody else's perspective or even as uh, a denunciation of them as a person. And so all of this creates a toxic yet very attractive social context to we sinners. Real conversation and real relationships is hard. Fake relationships online are easy, and because we are sinners, we very often choose easy. And I like to take a step back here, because in this we see something of a pattern emerging as we continue through this series in Proverbs. Going all the way back to the first sermon, we acknowledge that introspection 
is hard. A man's motives are like deep waters, but a discerning man draws them out. We said there that it's nowhere more important for you to do that than with your own heart and your own soul. As the psalmist says, search my heart, O God, see if there's any wicked way in me. That is difficult. That requires the confrontation of things in your own soul that are ugly. On the other hand, responding to the world as a matter of instinct is very easy. But inevitably, it leads to ruin. Male biblical leadership is hard. Very hard. It's hard to lead your family. It's hard to put them first in all things. Watching porn, on the other hand, all day long and streaming services is easy. Very easy. And yet succumbing to easy and eschewing what's hard with manhood ruins men, ruins women, ruins children, whole civilizations, and leaves us at the whims of the Isaiah 3 capricious children who become our rulers. Parenting is hard. Letting others raise your children is easy, yet it cripples the parents and creates dependency upon alternative agents that are neither designed nor equipped to best raise those children, and it harms the children themselves greatly. Gluttony is easy, yet it kills and destroys. So what is easy is very often evil and very often kills and destroys. This, too, is true with social media. It is easy, yet it robs and it cripples and it isolates. And for all of human history, men and women have had to satiate their God-given need for fellowship with real fellowship. They had to actually find out people, get together with them, be in their homes or in some group setting. Now, for the first time, they don't. Now they have this satanic surrogate that offers just enough to subsist as emotional and spiritual beings, but not near enough to actually allow us to thrive. It's one of the reasons why suicidality increased exponentially in the year 2020 when everything was shut down. I had this out, but it didn't actually accomplish what it was supposed to accomplish. Commands of Scripture for communication need to be fulfilled in person. Forbid not the assembling of yourselves together is not a moot point in a Zoom age. It still holds true. Even the word for church, ecclesia, means assembly or assembled ones. In all that this satanic society has thrown against Christ and his church, nothing has been used more successfully than this. This was the justification for shutting down churches, wasn't it? Well, you can still do what you do online. No, we can't. That's not genuine God-created fellowship. It's an artificial substitute that doesn't do what the real thing does at all. It leaves souls to wither. And even prior to that, I can tell you that as a pastor, I've not faced anything more challenging than this. Multiple people have come into this church and gone out of it who create avatars for themselves online and cannot tell the difference between the real and the fake anymore. They have people affirming certain behaviors online who don't even know them, and they choose to acknowledge those affirmations instead of listening to the people who are actually in their lives in real time and in meaningful ways. But in addition to social media, there's also texting, which is commonly destructive in two major ways. First of all, it's just a really poor communication medium where people communicate really poorly. I remember, I, you know, it took me a long time to get into the smartphone thing. 
I don't like technology at all. Uh, so I think I was upper 20s and I almost told someone to bleep themselves using the voice feature on the text. Fortunately, I caught it and deleted it. It's not a good form of communication. Many arguments have started because, um, you know, something was inadvertently expressed. Emojis are not a good form of communication. They stunt people's uh, development linguistically. It's like a return to cave art. We're going backwards here as a civilization. And second, texting is destructive in that very often the person texting is choosing that shallow communication, which is what it is, over the person or people right in front of them. And you've all experienced this. Maybe many of you have done this. You're in a group setting. Somebody should be able to appreciate somebody else's humanity, speak to them as Christians, glean something meaningful from them, and their head and their face is buried in that phone. A person who does this is violating everything that the Bible teaches about love in genuine fellowship. And Proverbs 12:18, for example, says that the tongue of the wise brings healing, but that tongue brings no healing in that setting because it's silent. Because a shallow conversation with some person who isn't even present is preferred. And you don't have to be a Christian, by the way, in order to recognize the damage that this is doing. I recall hearing about uh, a restaurant that was started by people who I don't believe are Christians. And there are baskets on the side of the booth for people to put their phones in so that they actually have conversation with each other. What a novelty. Unfortunately, it is novel in our day. On the other hand, Proverbs 16.20 says that he who heeds the word wisely will find good. But the person buried in their phone is much more likely to find a poop emoji than they are a wise word. Mostly, though, the person who forsakes the real live human in front of them for some trivial conversation with someone far off is just extraordinarily selfish. They have no interest in anybody but themselves. They are then exactly what Paul denounces in Philippians 2, 3 through 5. He says there, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. A person whose head is buried in a phone in the company of others has no interest in others. Even the person on the other end of that text exchange isn't important. And that's why they're often engaged in multiple text conversations at the same time while simultaneously scrolling Instagram or some other medium or perhaps multiple mediums at the same time. And all of this has now produced multiple generations who writ large actually do not believe that any one person or even group of people is worthy of their sole attention. And this is absolutely manifest in churches and it is absolutely manifest in this church. And it is absolutely sinful. And a lot of it happens because of parents who turn a blind eye to their children's selfishness. And as a prelude to the sermons on parenting, let me say here, if you've placed your teenager or even child who is younger than that in a position to do this by giving them that device and letting them go wild with it, you should have given them a loaded gun. It has less capacity to damage them than that. And you are absolutely sinning against them. And it is an egregious sin. And we'll go through it when we get there. Let no unwholesome thing be put before your eyes. Is that possible when you have a device 
with unfettered access to all that it gives. Of course it is not. And what you're allowing your child to be, or what you are as an adult, if you're guilty of this, is a conversational and relational scavenger. You pick at this a little bit, you pick at that a little bit, whatever happens to be lying on the side of the road, but you never actually cultivate anything. You never build any relationship through your speech. Your sole thought is how you may be temporarily satisfied, and this affects every relationship and interaction. It is not too strong to say that if this is not matured out of, matriculated out of, and it isn't for many, then the practitioner of this behavior is not going to be able to have meaningful relationships ever. Those are the stakes. One of you not that long ago noted the fact that very often millennials and Gen Zs when they enter into an interaction with multiple people or just with you, they they will not actually start by saying, like, ever, how are you doing? They don't ask. That's well observed. They don't. They just get there and they start to unload about whatever it is that they're into and they're doing and they're thinking. That's a reflection of the fact that they have learned communication from digital mediums that rob people of their humanity and don't allow people to communicate as people with souls who ought to be concerned with others. And to make matters worse, information in the current age is typically consumed in sound bites, very, very short blocks. Whether it's texting or it's TikTok, this is true. And this has created a situation where a real connection to God or others for many people is not possible aside from tremendous personal growth. You cannot experience meaningful Christian fellowship in sound bites. Okay, God's word is deep, it is broad. It has to be recognized as such and consumed in reflection of that. If you're hearing sermons, sermons shouldn't be. 10-minute homilies. That's not a sermon. Okay? Lutheran churches do that. Roman Catholic churches do that. But they do that because they don't have any deep grounding in the Word of God. Can't have a generation that consumes media in 90 seconds and then coming into the church and not have that dealt with. Sermon on the Mount was probably about 11 hours long. If you recall, Paul preached so long that one time that that guy fell asleep and then fell out of the window and had to be resurrected. Now, were those typical Lord's Day uh, gatherings? No, I don't think so. So don't get concerned. You can breathe a sigh of relief. Next week is not going to be 11 hours. But it shouldn't be 11 minutes either. Again, now you have a couple generations of adults who've been trained in this way. They have to be untrained. They have to understand that that isn't something they can bring into the church, that we are not to tick-tock sermons. But add to all of this the failures of the public education system. And the many satanic priestesses, more commonly known as teachers in the public schools, are big on grooming children for sexual abuse. They're a little light, though, on teaching, reading, and comprehension skills. According to the Literacy Project, 45 million Americans are functionally illiterate and cannot read above a fifth grade level. 50% of adults cannot read a book written at an eighth grade level. 
one in four children in America grow up without learning how to read. Much of this is the direct result of the public education systems. And these problems are of immense significance when you consider that God has designed his relationship with his people and our relationships with each other around the verbal and the written word. But it is getting and is going to get much worse yet because those statistics were pre-masking before you shut down people's ability to express ideas and thoughts with their faces and to speak in an unencumbered way. The statistics on what that has produced is just coming out. And it's not looking good at all. Verbal communication is how people seek and give the kind of empathy that's extolled in Romans 12. And so that empathy is at least severely muted if people cannot communicate in basic ways. And so both inside and outside of Christ's church, the inability to coherently express oneself causes tremendous frustration, which often results in anger or in the world flat-out rage. And what happens then to a generation of children who cannot communicate what they think or need. Nothing good. If you're talking about a toddler or a baby who can't express their thoughts, then you're talking about um, thrown toys. When that is still true of an adult, you're talking about a lot worse damage than that. And finally, it should be recognized that speaking flows from thinking and vice versa. In the process of speaking, which has been uh, largely neglected, we learn how to think and we refine what we think. This happens in conversations all the time. How many times do you start down a certain path and then you correct course a little bit? Are you correcting your language or are you correcting your thinking? You're correcting both. So if you're not thinking, you're not engaged in that process. My favorite Emerson quote, and the only one that I can actually remember, is him saying... Uh, I have to write in order to know what I think. There is a refining process there. And this is not happening when people are not speaking. So the challenges then are immense to say the least. But now let's get more specific about why this matters so much. And the primary reason why this matters to the church in particular is that the seminal work of the church is making disciples and making disciples happens through and by written and verbal communication. And God, in his infinite wisdom, ordained it this way. Language is a limited medium, to be sure. But it is sufficient to convey the nature of God and the nature of salvation. And that's why God spoke first in the garden, or prior to, when he said, let there be light. We have been speaking ever since. God delivered the written word via angels from Sinai. Through Moses, God evangelized Abraham with words. And in our time, Christ has been delivered as the full and final revelation of God and the record of his life and ministry have been handed down to us in the New Testament. So the stakes with this could not be higher. People's capacity to know God is directly correlated to their ability to convey and comprehend thoughts expressed in language. And we live in a context in which many of the people that we are discipling and will be, Lord willing, in the future, simply cannot convey and comprehend thoughts expressed in language in a remotely competent way. And I am running into this now multiple times over. And in a moment, I'm going to address how to deal with this. I want you to know here, there is hope. And we'll get to that. But before I do, I need to make clear that not addressing this in an individual is not an option. You may not simply throw up your hands and walk away. I've had people who have 
such strong natural tendencies toward, for example, harmful or godless speech that they just want to check out and stop speaking. Instead of tearing out an eye or cutting off a hand, they want to figuratively cut out their tongues. Okay, this is not, though, an option for the Christian because the tongue doesn't just come with prohibitions against it in Scripture, but rather we are required to bless with our words. Solomon does that, you know, he, he says, rather, gives you a word of caution in, in the abundance of words, sin is not absent. So there are a lot of people who need to speak less, but going mute is not, again, an option. Now, for some people in particular, there's a mighty personal struggle with taming their sharp tongue. And why we sympathize with this as Christians, because we have our own sinful predilections. That's never really been chief on my list. I have other things, though. Other good gifts that God has given that I have a tendency over and over and over again to twist and malign. I get it. I get why you would want to walk away from that, but you still have to use what God has given you for good because he requires it of you. And that means that this process of growth in this area is going to be messy. It means that you're going to hurt people. But that brings me to the good news, which is that we as your brothers and sisters in Christ are here to help you through your missteps. And we will have our own. Nobody's mastered this area. Some struggle in a greater way, but we're all struggling to some degree. But if we are what we are supposed to be as Christ's church, we can resolve this issue. The effects of sin are seen in every facet of our lives, and they pervade our relationships, and yet we as God's people have seen these effects mitigated or altogether ended by Christ. It'll be the same with this issue. Provided that we understand the process that needs to occur and that we embrace our roles in it. And for some of us, that means more so being a help to another. And for others, it means more so being helped. And this happens through wise counsel. The abundance of counselors concept through Proverbs holds true with this as well. And now because communication habits and patterns are established from childhood, this is another area in which we have a very difficult time understanding that there's a problem. So we're really going to need others to help us understand this. As we have discussed previously, familiarity with a certain thing creates a comfortability with that thing, and this works with sin. And nothing makes us more comfortable with our sin or blind to it than having never known anything but it. And when you've been raised in a family, all those people tend to speak and think alike, and so it's very difficult for that person to be broken out of that and recognize, no, really, there is a problem. And so getting them to recognize this means speaking the truth in love, telling people that they are not easily understood and that there seems to be serious problems with comprehension as well. And that they need to engage people with this understanding. And to encourage you, I have seen this process play out positively, actually where somebody really, really has tremendous communication issues, the likes of which we're about to see exponentially increase in the society for all of the aforementioned reasons. And in this particular uh, instance, you had a, a young married couple, young lady who had tremendous issues with communication and a husband who was telling her that she did. Um, but because, again, she was raised that way and it was just in the ether, she didn't accept that. 
they went on for years like that, and eventually she was at work, and she had a, a supervisor tell her exactly the same thing, and that started to break down the walls. Now, praise God that he used that secular institution, but it is the church that should be doing this for people and helping people understand these things. This is a linchpin, man. If they can't understand what we say and the written word, then they, again, cannot know God and they cannot know us as they should. And it's also critical here for both parties in the discipleship relationship to understand that these communication impediments are often not the result of personal sin in the individual struggling to communicate. Okay, this is a consequence of sin being in the world in general. If somebody's using their tongue in a sharp way and insulting people, that's obviously a result of their own personal sin. But if you're talking about people who are unable to communicate because they were raised in a family of poor communication, then you're talking about the effects of sin. What you're doing is instruction more so than rebuke. And really, you're not rebuking anything at all. It becomes an issue of sin if they, in pride, refuse to acknowledge that there is a problem and take the steps. The steps that you need to take, the good news, is just be around God's people. If you shut down the devices, if you submit to the tools that the Lord has given you to help you speak better, then this process will play out in the way that it should as the Lord's people help you and guide you. So that is really what I have for you. Like I say, it's shorter than what you're accustomed to. We will get into the specifics of this, the nitty-gritty, the individual commands and how we're to use our tongues in at least one additional week and perhaps two. But I'd like to close with the fact and by way of reminding you that God spoke to us through His Holy Spirit and by that we are saved from His wrath. The Lord spoke. And so because of that, we speak to each other. We give that grace that He has given to us to one another. And if you struggle in this area, we're here with you, brother and sister. We'll help you through it. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for the opportunity to break the bread of your word. We thank you for this new year. Lord, and I pray for grace as I continue to teach your people through this series. I pray that they would grow, and I pray that this would be fruitful. And I praise you and I thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi there, this is Austin Hetzler, the pastor of Christ the Rock Church of Elyria, Ohio. We at Christ the Rock are humbled and grateful to be a part of your sanctification today as you listen to this sermon. But at the same time, we want to encourage you to be a member of a good local church and not to allow online sermons to replace the local church and to benefit from the life of that church and to give your spiritual gifts back to that church. Having said that, our website is www.christrockchurch.com. If you go there, you can find sermons, blogs, and other resources as well as our location and service times. You can also listen to the sermons on Bible Thumping Wingnut, Podbean, iTunes, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Stitcher. I, along with the membership of Christ the Rock Church, pray that this sermon will be a blessing to you.